I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Hey, man. Good morning. I'm doing fine. What about you? Doing good. And uh, we have a guest, Dean. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Nice to meet you, Noah and Ben. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So uh, Dean is the co-founder and CTO of Paperform, um, which I saw you guys have um, some some public metrics. I think you are doing you guys are doing around a million ARR or something like that, right? Um, yeah, we're, ju- yeah, we're just so on the awesome. cusp actually, so we're we're really close. We're right there, <laughs> any day now. Yeah, so so Paperform. Well, can you explain a little bit more uh, about Paperform? You'd probably be better at doing that than I. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the the short story is Paperform's an online form builder. Um, there's there's a million of them out there. Um, we have been around since about 2016, and we differentiate obviously to the rest of the form builder market. Where we're not uh, we're a pretty unique product, uh, both in the way you use the product and also the kind of forms you can create. In the end, uh, we, th- we think of Paperform ourselves more as a no-code tool. So uh, something that we can give to mm-hmm. non-technical people so that they can build their own solutions to their own problems. Most of those problems have to do around form creation. Um, yeah. That's... Nice, yeah. Uh, so funny story uh, around Paperform that I have when I, when I first heard of it. So actually, almost a year ago now... Um, I talked, we talked about this, me and Ben talked about this on this podcast. I did like a 24 hour live, I I, I streamed it live, tried to build a startup in 24 hours and um, it was called Snoozy Lose. And in the middle of that, we were, we were basically using no code tools, right? And um, we were using Typeform and we were going to try to use that to like gather the payment from the, the user. And it wasn't working how we wanted to and stuff. And there were some listeners or, that were watching the live stream. They're like, hey, um, I think you should use Paperform. I think it, it has some better integrations with Stripe and stuff. And so we're like, okay. <laughs> and so we, we tried Paperform right there and I'd never heard of it before. And um, I think what ended up happening though is we, we were trying to integrate Paperform and we, we ended up doing it. But we couldn't get the payment part to work and we only had so many hours left that we had to just kind of like end the the stream and end and, and we actually launched it to product hunt at the end of that day but we had to end it with taking no payments because we couldn't get that to oh, no. work how we wanted to what but a tragedy yeah <laughs> <laughs> we had to add the payments in like a couple of days kind later of an important step of- right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that yeah that was kind of a funny uh situation so that was my first introduction to paper form was was live in front of people <laughs> i mean that's awesome it's, it's awesome to hear that you've heard of paper form before because i mean we're we're a bootstrapped business uh we've grown it uh-huh. grown it you know from the ground up uh we have we have a really awesome user base that that are really vocal and love us and it's it's great to hear that Somebody put up their hand and, and said we were the right solution to your problem at that time. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, whoever that was, yeah, if yeah, you're listening. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, today we just kind of want to talk to you, Dean, and just kind of hear your your journey with Paperform and how things went. Um, 
So could you first start off kind of sharing kind of how things started, like when you guys started Paperform and how you kind of started with that idea? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I run Paperform with my wife. So we co-founded the business together. Uh, so in, in 2016, when we started it, uh, we were both working full time. So my wife has kind of a project management background. She was working for Google Arts and Culture out here in Sydney. Uh, and I'm a programmer, obviously, um, and was working for another startup, building out their stuff and started building something on the side. So very much Paperform started as, you know, Sydney's a really expensive place to live. We want to own a house one day and we want to have kids and see them sometime. So we were like, why don't we try building a lifestyle business? We can, you know, build it on the side. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's fine. Um, so that's kind of what the the core incentive was to build paper form uh, in terms of the actual problem that we're trying to solve. The, the initial seed came from, I've got a, a mate who runs like week, oh, sorry, um, like holiday programs for kids. And he was trying mm. to trying to build registration forms for it. And he hit me up about it like five or six years ago uh, to, because obviously I'm a developer and he knows I can, I can build stuff you know, about how he could build this, this form that was, it was fairly complex. So he had to capture, you know, obviously information about the child that wants to come to the program, but parent and guardian information, dietary requirements, uh, friends that they're friends with, friends with, so they can be put in the same groups and that kind of thing. So it's like 30 or 40 questions, quite, quite a detailed thing, as well as, you know, he wanted to be able to take payments so they didn't have to do it all cash in hand or figure out how to take payments later and he, or he, and he had a bit of a brand around it so he didn't want to you know use something that was just really clinical so i mean for a couple mm-hmm. of years i've been building this bespoke form for him for him to which just connected to stripe and took payments and i was like why every time i, I would have to update this form for him i'm like why can't he just do this himself with something uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting a little annoyed here well it's, it's more like you know yeah, when you when you're the dev guy, you you always end up the middleman for all those little changes, and and I and I'd always inevitably screw them up. I would forget to update one line in the copy, or you know something. It's like, well, if you could manage all that, then that would be great. Uh, but every time I would look on the market, see if there was anything around, and there really seemed to be this gap for forms that could capture really complex and rich information, take payments, and actually look like your brand. So they were kind of our big three differentiators for when we first started. Uh, the fourth differentiator isn't really about the forms. It's more about the creation experience. So our form builder is not really like anything, any other form builder on the market. We really uh, are a part of what's really become the, the block editor style of, of creation experience. Oh, so yeah, like yeah. Note, writing in Notion. As, at the time, I was really heavily inspired by Medium because they seemed to be the first kind of kids on the block to be doing that at a, at a really big popular scale um so creating a form is very much just like type onto the page can select it to change into a you know different headings insert images video as well as questions and then later on page breaks and all kinds of things so a form creation experience is very document based as opposed to i suppose the classic form creation experience which would be drag your widget onto the page drag your widget onto the page <laughs> and yeah mm-hmm. so on and so forth so, so how did you know back then that, um, I mean, you had one friend that needed something like this, but how did you know, like, this was something that a business could be kind of created out of 
like was that something you just kind of fell into because you were already kind of doing this for your friend or like did you feel like okay there's there's really something here that I think a lot of other people could benefit from uh so for me personally I I thought there was a, a big gap in just making form creation a bit more fun um and when we first started when I first started building it I had no idea whether anybody would want to use it or not um <laughs> but uh, you know the nature of i think of of programming is you always want to learn something and you always need to build something to keep learning so i really started building out paper form without you know yeah you hope something turns into a business but if it's if it's just something that you know sits in my github repo for <laughs> for eternity and then gets deleted one day then that, that's kind of okay too so you know i took i built it on the side while i was working full-time so i got up an hour early every day for three months and just spent time building something uh but we got to this stage where it was like okay i've got something which is pretty functional and and works and we put it up on beta list and got something like two or three hundred beta testers out of that um which which in and of itself was 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 okay those beta testers aren't particularly useful (laughs) we found anyway uh because people aren't paying money then they're just you know you get a lot of tight kickers a lot of people coming in and going oh it'd be really nice maybe if it could do this or but because they're not actually trying to use it in their business they're not the exact it's not the same feedback you get once you've got people who have paid you money and are actually trying to solve their problems Mm -hmm. but through that beta list launch uh app sumo reached out to us they're like a big deals site yeah 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 uh so they're one of their partnerships guys reached out to us and said, we really like what you're building here. Would you be interested in running a deal? So we said yes, because that was a really great verification that somebody would be willing to pay money for this software. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we ran a deal kind of December 2016, it was, uh, and sold something like 3,000 uh, lifetime subscriptions for $49 a pop, uh, which... Yeah, did two things. Obviously, verified that people would pay for it, even if it was only just that one lump sum. But yeah. uh, the more important one really was actually getting people into the product. So all of a sudden, you have, you know, at least like a thousand active people <laughs> trying to use your product yeah. for something, uh, and that's just we just got buried in feedback, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was it's just funny. wondering. Yeah, that's like, amazing. I mean, that's that's quite a lot of people all at once, and you're probably yeah. swamped with feedback and maybe even like bug reports and stuff you needed to fix oh, yeah. at that point <laughs> all of it yeah and we were like we're based in sydney and uh, most of the appsumo audience is us based and we had, we had like intercom support on our site so it's like two people we, we were taking shifts through the night to make sure we'd get up like <laughs> you know once every three hours and just double check intercom you know process the 10 tickets there and, and make sure we're kind of keeping responsive um yeah it was it was really full on those first like three months or so after we launched just it was like a it was like our first baby really um <laughs> wow yeah well that's a great problem to have i mean people people want you to make it work for them because they actually want it and they're they they want it to actually solve a problem for them um so i'm curious about like the the beta list going back to that um so do you feel like, so obviously it sounds like that was kind of incremental in getting AppSumo to see you guys and, and uh, kind of move forward with that. Um, but uh, with the users that you get from beta list, like, 
are you were you able to like learn anything from them or are, are those users kind of like ones that are just kind of like checking out products almost and that's like they're just like like to see new things or something yeah so so definitely uh, both of those segments of users are so like the appsumo users and those beta list users they're similar but but big distinction is that the one's paid money and one hasn't uh the beta list mm. users are really like the people that are on beta list are those early adopters that are like on the lookout right for that next thing they're, they're still kind of value focused as well because a lot of reason people sign up to betas that early is hopefully they're hoping to get that free account or or something along those lines um mm-hmm. but yeah we found because they're not necessarily looking to have that problem solved in their businesses right now then they're going to come in and look at your product like they're evaluating it uh in a theoretical sense because it's not they're not they may not be your target customer they may not yeah, be yeah. experiencing your problem right mm-hmm. uh there's there's no harm in in doing that but we found the feedback we got from those AppSumo users who paid uh to be far more valuable more because we got a lot of feedback from them so just in terms of volume of of feedback it's much easier to make sense of what's important and what's not when you have 10 people screaming the same thing as opposed to one person going oh yeah maybe that could be nice <laughs> Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm struggling with that right now with where I'm at with my business because there's, yeah, there's only so many customers. And so it's like, uh, does this actually, whatever they're saying, does it actually, is that actually true in the rest of the market? Like, is, is yeah. this the same problem everyone else is talking about? And it's really hard to to know that. Um, so and that balance like, of, does this actually belong in my product? And how does it belong in my product, right? Like, it's yeah, that constant. Exactly. You're the yeah, gatekeeper yeah. of everything that happens in your product. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So you think with, you know, having more users that made that all easier or, or were there some hard parts to having a ton of people oh, yeah. kind of telling you they wanted something? Yeah. So that first, so when, so when that all kicked off, we were still working full time. It wasn't until probably March. So three months later that we went, okay. Cause we wanted to see if we actually got recurring revenue, right? It's like, yeah, it's one thing sense. that's people pay, pay you a little bit of cash to use your product forever. And that's another thing to say, I'm going to put my credit card in. You can charge me every month. So we got to March and we started to see some recurring revenue growing. So we're like, okay, I think we can make the leap and survive off of this. Um, so, but that first 12 months after we launched, uh, we were just heads down building. So we launched with a lot of missing features. If you looked at the product then and the product now, you almost wouldn't recognize it. Um, mm. But what that meant was we, yeah, so we would release something like a substantial feature every week for the first like 60 weeks uh, or <laughs> after launching the product. Um, yeah, and part of that was because we launched something that was complete and polished, but very feature restricted. Uh, so, people come in and obviously they're trying to solve their problems. And I was, I was listening to one of you guys' podcasts uh, from like last uh-huh. week or the week before and talking about that, you know, getting getting those requests and then building out, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that ad hoc feature for that customer. Oh, We're yeah, very much yeah, in, that, yeah. in that stage where you're like, okay, I want to solve this customer's problem. Uh, and, the, yeah. and that was awesome, right? Um, except that has, its, that has its pain points in that, you know, a year and a half down the track, you go, whoa, a product can do a lot of stuff, but it wasn't really designed to house all of this functionality. Um, so we, yeah. we hit this architectural problem kind of a year and a half in where we had added all this functionality, but a lot of people didn't even know it existed because we would just <laughs> stick it in wherever it kind of made oh, sense yeah. in yeah, the yeah. existing product. Um, 
So we had, a, had to kind of step back and reevaluate if we were trying to redesign this product from the ground up with all of this functionality in mind, how would it look? Would it, it probably wouldn't be the same as it looked at the time. Yeah, I, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast. Maybe I was just telling Ben, but that's, that's kind of my plan from the start is basically just try things. And I know my code base is going to get uglier. <laughs> um, but I can, you know, once I kind of have hit a bright spot where I know like, okay, this is, this is what customers want. Then I think I can go back and kind of refactor and kind of polish things up and, and make it a lot nicer. Um, but just because of resources and time, that's, that's, that's kind of my strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it worked, it worked, it worked for us. I think it's, you feel that tension point when you go, I'm building a monster, right? Are <laughs> <laughs> you just like, I can't add anything more in here or you know, I'm just going to hate myself. Um, yeah. So I think as long as you listen to that, why not? It's, it's still, you've still got to get that functionality in somehow. You're still trying to build something that's of value to, to people. Yeah. I've, yeah. I, oh, this is such a great topic because I just did that like exact same thing in the last one or two weeks. <laughs> like I had this one feature where everybody like it was one of the most requested features so people wanted to see did they already like it's it's form software right so they they wanted to know did i already see that thread or did i not and did i see everything in that channel or did i not so you kind of need read receipts for every user and then if somebody new or something new happens in a thread you need to update that for every user who's seen it before as like huh that's interesting because you got this many-to-many -many relationship and you gotta update that and you gotta hold that in some kind of database and i implemented that in like i don't know like four hours i was like huh oh, that's that's pretty solid and i tried it and i was like oh this is not going to scale at all <laughs> and i ripped it all out and now i just rewrote it all and it took some more time to you know like <laughs> yeah to do it properly and i'm pretty glad i did that so yeah i'm i'm totally seeing that already like i don't want to sit in front of my computer and think oh that's a monster and i <laughs> i don't want to touch it anymore <laughs> absolutely yeah. Yeah, so uh, going back, um, so you had all these users, you built out features over like 60 weeks. Um, were you, so at the end of that, do you feel like you landed at a pretty good spot? Like the, all the users were happy or did you kind of have to kind of go back and forth and kind of make things better based on their feedback as you were building stuff? Um, yeah, what did that look like? Yeah, yeah, I think... I mean, we, we've got such a versatile product and a lot of, and our, part of the tension of our product is a lot of different people will try to use us for a lot of different things. So we always, we always feel those edges, right? Of, of somebody who's trying to push the product to do something which it really wasn't designed to, to do. And we try and facilitate that as much as possible. Um, but I think in general, after that first year and a half, after we'd redesigned the UI to make it fit all of those things well. We, we, we did hit that kind of point of stability where it's, it was, it was that, you know, 85% of the way there for 85% of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. That, that makes me think of another kind of topic that I've struggled with in the past, which is how much of listening to the user's feedback do you take in compared to your guys's vision of like this is what paper form should be we we know it should do these things like how much of it was you know just kind of listening to the feedback compared to what you you believed it needed to be yeah yeah so i think early on it was really easy to listen to feedback because all the stuff that was missing was really obvious 
So like, you know, integrations are a really big deal for us. So we added our Zapier integration, you know, around April after launching. It's like four months after launching. Doing something like that is a no-brainer. Where, where I think it gets a bit, a bit harder is after you've kind of reached that basic feature complete stage and then you're just getting kind of people's wish lists. Uh, and also, mm. we, we still always want to listen to customers, but it's the tension point of trying to extract what's the problem the customer's trying to solve versus what's the solution they're, suggest, they're suggesting. So somebody will come in and say, oh, you know, I, I, I need this feature. And you go, well, well, why do you need this feature? And part of the time, it's they can already solve that problem in a different way and you just need to tell them. And part of it is people just think think in terms of solutions a lot of the time they don't think in, think in problems so you just need to extract mm-hmm. that uh, and aggregate it uh, so we, we spend a, quite a bit of time when we're product planning reviewing customer feedback to try and look for common threads of, of problems that need to be solved and then and then try and design the best solution to that problem versus just building the first solution that was suggested by a customer um, and I think the other tension point is obviously we want to take the product in a certain direction uh, and that's going to be more useful to some people than others. Uh, and I think that's a fine thing as well. And I think that's that's largely the way we've moved kind of in the past year or so. We can be a bit more strategic. And I think that's, but I think it's also because we've, we've passed that, that stage where we can do most things for most people in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So yeah, what what was kind of the next milestone for you guys once you got to that point? Um, I mean, like, how did you guys, I guess kind of the next thing I would guess would be like distribution. Like, how are you getting more people coming through the door? Yeah, so we, we neither my wife nor myself have any uh, marketing background. That's That was the big gap in our, in our founding team. Um, and we, we really didn't do much marketing at all for for that first year and a half and we grew pretty organically just just word of mouth um obviously doing things like launching on zapier and that kind of thing have really positive impacts um but we had no idea what we were doing in terms of marketing we hit this tension point at that about mid 2018 where uh, because we kind of started paperform as a lifestyle business we we hit this tension point where it was kind of turning into more work than two people can do if it kept growing. <laughs> so we hit this tension point of should we put the brakes on and just keep the the business to at a size that we can manage just the two of us or do we just drop the the lifestyle dream a little bit and actually just commit to hiring people to help us grow the business, uh, which is which is what we decided to do the kind of the second half of 2018. So we in the past from 2019 onwards we've brought on six full-time employees and two part-time um and part of that is we've got two uh two people in our marketing or growth team who do lots of things to help us grow the business um <laughs> it helps to have somebody yeah. just to just think about it uh because i think in those early days there's so many other things to do that if you're growing organically it's like well i'll just ignore that <laughs> <laughs> but but having somebody to actually sit down and go, well, what are the ways that people find your kind of product? Yeah, How can we yeah. get to those people uh, and spend their time doing those things is really valuable. So it sounded like you guys, it was just you and your wife for the first two years. So you were, was it two years you were kind of just you two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two years, pretty much exactly. Maybe 
two years and a month or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it sounds like you you guys didn't have to do much marketing. Like there must like it sounds like there was such good product market fit that it just kind of happened. Um, did like what what are your thoughts about like like what did that feel like for you know just to just grow on its own like did you feel like you knew where things were happening or coming from like how did that how did that like did you have any control of it or or know why it was growing uh i think we we rode off the coattails of that appsimo launch and and the Uh we did a product launch at the same time and we we wrote off word of mouth for a really long time. So, so part of the good thing about having a form builder product is people generally see it around when it's, when it gets used. Uh, yeah. So like from our, our smallest tier on our, on our cheapest tier, we have powered by paper form in the footer. Yeah. Uh, all the other tiers you can turn that off on. Um, but that, you know, that kind of thing helps with just general awareness. Uh, but I think I would actually chalk it up a lot to just th- those early adopters from AppSumo being really vocal. So the same people who probably mentioned <laughs> to you when you were trying to solve yeah, your payments live form problem, <laughs> live streaming. Um, I would not be surprised if they were from that cohort of AppSumo users that are that are just, you know, fantastic vocal fan boys and girls. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's amazing to have a community of people around your product that you know like it that much. That's that's sweet. Yeah, sounds like you had quite the. I don't want to say easy times <laughs> selling it, but I'm, I'm also kind of interested in if there were any times where you were like very frustrated with things and things looked gloomy and didn't seem to work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it's all the things you learn that we learned running the business over years was things like seasonality are really scary. So like the first half of the year is generally really strong for us and the back half of the year, uh, is pretty quiet. So like the first time, I think like the first August after we launched, we grew like a tiny amount compared compared to what we had been growing. And it's and you're just like, well, is that it? Is the run over? <laughs> because we weren't doing things to actively grow the business. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, yeah, well, maybe <laughs> maybe this is it. Maybe everybody's had enough of paper form and they've, <laughs> they've moved on to something else. Uh and having been through that a few times now, you start to notice the patterns of when things are quiet and maybe the whole world doesn't revolve around your product. Um, <laughs> markets just behave <laughs> in certain ways. Uh, so definitely we've had those points of of uh, quiet. I think the other attention point was really, yeah, when we were trying to figure out whether we wanted to keep it as a lifestyle business or commit to actually growing it. Because um, we were at the attention point where uh, just, just running the business kind of was a full-time job and and growth was probably just slowing you know bit by bit month on month so yeah it's that that weird tension point where you know you know if we reinvested into it that we'd be able to kickstart growth by getting someone to actually think about it um but that but that was a really hard thing for us to figure out whether it was the the right thing for us to do personally because yeah yeah yeah. We we had our first kid on the way at the time not possibly no we had our first kid at the time yeah but he was young very young <laughs> man yeah those ups and downs that's definitely that's how i'm struggling right now emotionally uh just like 
you know, some days feeling like things are going to be great. Some days feeling like it's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> so you think in your experience that mostly is com- just kind of based on seasons, just like people are looking for forms or needing them compared to not needing them. It, um, is there anything else? Like, I guess uh, the thing I always struggle with is like, how do you, what do you attribute problems to <laughs> and figuring out where the problems are um, and knowing, you know, this is this, I'm not seeing as good outcomes because of this or because of this. Um, did, so do you have any advice around, I guess your experience with that and how to handle that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we just pay attention. So, so things like you start to notice patterns, especially with things like seasonality, seasonality, things like elections, uh, like globally, because obviously we're playing on a playing in a global market. Things like elections, so like when U.S. elections are on, things just die. If there's big media events happening, people just stop doing things. People just watch the news, uh, and you, and you can see it in traffic. You can see you can see it in all kinds of in in all kinds of ways. So paying attention to those. Yeah those just global patterns uh, help to, to kind of isolate, you know, is it, is it the world or is it me? Uh, on the, I suppose on the more micro level, uh, you know, the more tracking, the better in terms of seeing how your customer's behaving uh, and actually analyzing, you know. So like we, we implemented our own kind of internal tracking system to, you know, qualify our trial users to be able to tell even just basic stuff like have they have they gone in and created a form? Uh, <laughs> that that's that's an amazing qualifier. Compared, <laughs> like, you know, thirty percent of people who sign up may not even get to that stage where they've yeah, created a form yeah. and, and and clicked through the the onboarding just to like tick that they <laughs> that they're through that that far. Um, so you, yeah. so in terms of and also just tracking where people are coming from if you can, uh, attributing where traffic's coming from helps. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Um, so going back, you kind you guys kind of shifted to like growing the team. So how is your role and how is like you know just doing your own business changed with all of that? Uh, I'd say it, it's turned more into a less standard job. So part of the part of the value of having a a bootstrap business when it was just my wife and I was we were super flexible, right? So we could work, you know, any day of the week, any time of the day, take breaks anytime. When you've got employees that are working in your time zone, you know, from from nine to five, all of a sudden you've you've kind of got a window of availability that you <laughs> that you really need to kind of stick in. So uh, it kind of forced us more into, I suppose, a more standard routine. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's definitely a, a big factor. Uh, another thing is just getting used to managing people has been a big learning curve for me because I've never really managed teams before and now I have to. <laughs> so, yeah. so all, all the, all those, those simple boring things like how to run meetings well, especially we're, we're completely remote as an organization. So figuring out how all that stuff works remotely, uh, was, was definitely a learning curve. Um, yeah. And, and I think there's obviously a shift in roles where I still work a lot on product, but I have another developer with me now who probably does more product work than I do. So I'm at that kind of next level up of product planning. And then, 
you know, reviewing and designing and uh, all, all the other things except for actually getting my hands dirty in code, which which I miss a little bit. Um, and and obviously, yeah. your time gets split into more <laughs> into more and various complex things. So looking after the marketing team as well, and uh, you know, all the general day to day running of the business, all the legal, all of the fun regulations mm-hmm. popping up all over the world, trying to make life much more painful for software <laughs> companies. Yeah. So do you do you feel like uh, you like or or dislike? I guess, do you feel like there's definitely a challenge with your brain kind of being split into all these different pieces of <laughs> things that you have to do now? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very different job to being the product guy, which I was before. Like mm-hmm. I just <laughs> focus on product, build the product, make sure the product's good. And everything else is kind of somebody else's problem. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's just a completely different job, really. Uh, but that's that's the nature of being a being a founder, right? Is you, you do the job that needs to be done, not the <laughs> not the job that you enjoy doing the most or that you know makes you feel the greatest. Um, yeah, do what needs to be done to move the business forward. So uh, yeah, now 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 that you've already grown so much. Uh, do you have any plans to grow further or do you like is it a, is it a good level where you're at and you want to no stay he, he just wants to keep it right where it's at no growth <laughs> just gonna turn off that adwords campaign right now and just <laughs> yeah. no, i mean you could you could yeah i mean you could try to stay at that same level of you know like six employees yeah, and just try to keep it at that <laughs> yeah no no we're, we're, gro- we're growing at the moment so we're we're about to start advertising for another two support people so we, we prioritize a lot on on high quality support being a a non-free product so we have no free tier whatsoever we do 14 day free trial one of our one of our other big differentiators in the market is that we can be much more hands-on and helpful with our support uh, because we don't have like eight million free users <laughs> getting in the way yeah. um so yeah we're looking to uh, fill in a couple more time zones <laughs> with support people at the moment. Um, yeah, we're, we're growing really strongly at the moment. So it's definitely don't have any plans on putting the brakes on. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Nice. So um, let's see. Do you have like any, uh, I guess for, for people that are in me and Ben's shoes, you know, just kind of starting out, we're still kind of trying to figure things out. Uh trying to get a product that works do you have any kind of advice i guess for people like us that are still trying to figure things out and and reach product market fit with our products and and get things going yeah i think i think it's a really it's a really hard thing to figure out how to do well and there's there's so much advice out there on um on how to get to product market fit and you know rapid iteration and high turnover of customer feedback it's really hard to do if you can't get people into your product um mm-hmm. so uh, that's obviously a really big priority and i think my tendency if we didn't get the opportunities early on like the app sumo launch i think it would have been a much harder much harder to kind of bootstrap kickstart the business um so so i think stepping back from the product itself and thinking a lot about how you can get people to whatever you've got uh whether that's you know something as simple as a product hunt launch, uh, that's 
thought out and planned and well executed uh, to, you know, see, seeing if there's any basic uh, search traffic that you can compete for on that. You invest a little bit of money yeah. up front, run AdWords on it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously really going to be dependent on what you're building and who that person is. But but the right. more you can figure out who your customer is, uh, the easier it's going to be to find them, um, which is something that I, I still struggle with with our product is because we're really we're a really broad tool. Uh, it's, it's actually yeah. defining those personas of who, who are we trying to sell this to and what are we trying to, what are we trying to make them do with it? Um, but if you've got a, if you've got a, I don't know, I suppose a more niche product, then in some ways that's, that's more helpful because you you know, who you can, who you're trying to find. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm sure with like a no code tool, like you, you guys are building, like you're just going to have such a crazy wide variety of kinds of customers I'm curious, like what, what was kind of like the funniest or, or just most unique use case that someone was trying to use paper form for? <laughs> I mean, we, we just get all different kinds of things. Like, I mean, so like event registrations were kind of where we, we kickstarted it, but uh, we get people coming in. So I suppose I'll, I'll, I'll shift your question a little bit. One of the weirdest personas, which we really didn't see coming at all, uh, was like personal trainers. So like we have mm. this entire franchise that have signed up individually. So we had this one person who was on that uh, AppSumo campaign sign up from, it's a US franchise called Fit for Mums. So they're like, uh, they train mums on how to get fit after having babies or something like that. They're on mm. essentially fitness programs. Yeah. And it's it's a franchise. So they sign up, they, they get all this course material. Um so we had this one franchisee sign up and we've got something like 60 or 70 of them now that have all individually signed up. And, and it's just wow. this weird product market fit, right? Where uh, the, the, they get a lot of value out of the product because they can use it for different things. So they're, they're running like their Facebook ads straight onto forms. They're uh, doing registration into their, cl- into their classes onto forms. They're, they're doing uh, obviously like newsletter signups, uh, <laughs> feedback surveys, so like all these different use cases, which you know we we didn't sit sit down and yeah, think yeah. about what are you, are you gonna what are you gonna be using this for? Or all of these use cases definitely make sense for our product. But <laughs> but as soon as as soon as people people find those those solutions for it, absolutely. Other weird ones would be so our forms you can embed uh, and with page breaks. Uh, so like you can put in a, a page break to put things on content on different pages, but you can use conditional mm. logic to include those or exclude those. So we had people like create interactive content with with our forms Ooh. as well. So like uh, almost like choose your own adventure stories. Yeah, so yeah. you get to the end yeah. of, of this content because you can put all this rich content in and then like choose an answer and then jump to the next page and get through. And then it, you <laughs> know it'll awesome. it'll end in as a game. It ends in a sales pitch, right? It always ends <laughs> always ends in a sales pitch. But um, things which like things like that, which you go um, definitely wasn't what we were trying to yeah, trying yeah. to design at the start, but. Um, absolutely something you could use it for yeah that's awesome uh well thanks so much dean for sharing your journey uh where can listeners find you online uh so they can find paperform at paperform.co uh they can find me personally i'm on twitter at dean underscore mcpherson uh facebook maybe uh i think i'm the dean mcpherson on facebook (laughs) (laughs) um I'd be on LinkedIn if you if you want to find me on LinkedIn, but who cares about LinkedIn? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks so much, Dean. We really appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you in another one. See you next week.